We've been studying the book of Galatians for, I'd say, a few months, and I would dare say that we'll be studying the book of Galatians for a while. Um, But it's a great book, as we've discussed, but it has a basic theme to it, and uh, that has to do with the fact that God has provided for us His righteousness, okay? That our coming into relationship with God does not come about because we do things, We come into our relationship with God by faith, all right? And I want to just first share an overview of the book so far. Very first five verses have to do with an introduction and a greeting, all right? Very beginning, if you remember, it was just kind of this very nice greeting he gave them. Remember, these are people that Paul connected with when he went on what they call that first missionary journey, that shaliach effort to go up into what today would be kind of like central Turkey, to uh, primarily talk to Jews in synagogues in that region about the truth that the Messiah had come. Along the way, a bunch of non-Jews, a bunch of Gentiles had also come to faith in Yeshua in that region. And so Paul's just saying hello to them, but he has a reason for the letter, and the reason is he's rebuking them. He's rebuking them because they have bidden onto false teaching they have kind of been persuaded by people, not from Paul, not from Shaul, but other people, that in order to come into right relationship with God, you really have to do a few things. You have to, uh, in essence, add to this simple truth about faith in, you actually have to observe things, probably not the least of which would be circumcision for men and the observance of the covenant at Sinai. Now, uh, the first rebuke is, is pretty sharp. There's another rebuke we saw last uh, two weeks ago. But immediately after that, from verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 14, uh, what you see is Paul basically defending his authority. His authority. You might say, what authority? Well, the authority that he has as an apostle, all right, as a sent one. Someone that is not operating on his own. Uh, in, you know, I was talking to our accountant the other day, and we were talking about the fact that you can go online and you can go ordained online. You know, it costs you some money. You can get ordination really fast, especially if you want to marry people. You can get this this ordination and you can license to marry people. Uh, It doesn't have any weight to it. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's possible. Shaul wants to show that he has authority, that he is not operating on his own, but he's a man under authority, but a man that also has, a, has authority. That's what biblical leadership always is. It's not a person who is a lone ranger all by themselves under no authority. Biblical leadership is also people with authority who are exercising their authority under the authority of others. All right? So Paul is defending his authority. And then beginning in verse 15 of chapter to he is stating the issue here. And I've got it right on the screen. Paul's position. And this is the point of the book. All right? As we're going to be talking about slowly as we go through chapter 3, it's going to become obvious that some people want to use the book of Galatians to tell us as Jews that being Jewish doesn't matter anymore. That the Torah is no longer in force and has no value. The problem is that they are abusing the text. 
in order to make their own point. Shaul's point for the verse, for the entire book, is wrapped up in 15 through 21. And the point is, it says, all people come into a right relationship with God by faith alone. That's the point of the book. That is the point of the book. There is no other major premise to the book of Galatians. All right? So uh, beginning now with, as you can see, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, we suddenly then go into this whole uh, uh, time of, of argumentation. Shaul begins to argue, and he's arguing his point in regard to that main proposition. And he will argue it with, in different ways all the way into chapter 5. All right? And so I've decided, and you'll notice in the last two weeks, that I'm going to bring up the point on occasion, but I'm going to try and make it a little more varied in application because each point that Paul brings out uh, in, in his argumentation has a unique application. So, for instance, uh, we talked about last week about our own faith. Are we as faithful as Abraham? All right? He's using Abraham as an example to talk about the fact that people come into right relationship with God by faith alone. But the practical application for you, if you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, someone who says, says that they believe in the God of Abraham by faith, the question is, are you, are you as faithful as Abraham? Are you as faithful as Abraham? This morning, what I want to touch on is the fact that in, the, in this text, <clears throat> uh, a lot of believers have practiced what I like to call bad hermeneutics in terms of the way they've interpreted this text. And so I, I would like to illustrate this by showing a couple of videos. <laughs> All right? I want to illustrate this by showing a couple of videos so if the gentleman in the back can set it up. Uh, basically, we have two examples here. Those who cut right and those who cut wrong. First video, please. These old mountains hold me close, these old mountains hold me near. I'm running low on truck, yeah, I'm running low on gear. So soon I'll take the trail that leads on down to the rendezvous they're having down on lower ground. Pack up the mule, pack up the mule, well, I gotta get along to the rendezvous. Mike and Joe are coming, I can't wait to see them there. They've spent the winter hunting, trapping beaver, hunting bear. They'll think that they'll be trading for powder, beads, and lead. Them bear hides that they have will make a warm and comfy bed. Pack up the mule, pack up the mule. Boy, got to get along to the rendezvous. We'll clap and sing and eat some. We'll put on lots of fat. Spin yarns and tell tall stories all about this and that. Then have us a contest, try to win some loot. If and we're the winner of the dead burn turkey shoot. Oh yes, pack up the mule, pack now, they, they up the mule. They obviously took the time to measure twice and cut once, okay? Right? They really did an excellent job there. True professionals, okay. 
another video. Maybe not so well, professional. The big chainsaw is now on the porch, but it froze up. So we're down to the little stalker right now. And here we go, maybe. And it's going the wrong way. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't think I got that, but that was not good at all. We just took out half the house. Okay. Well, not a professional job, right? Yeah, he probably should have hired somebody. Um, rightly cutting the tree makes all the difference. Rightly dividing or rightly cutting, rightly understanding the biblical text makes all the difference, right? Makes all the difference. Uh, this morning, I want us to turn to, again, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on the deeds of Torah are under a curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. It is clear that no one is set right before God by Torah, for the righteous shall live by Emunah. However, Torah is not based on trust and faithfulness. On the contrary, the one who does these things shall live by them. Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that through Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promise of the Ruach through trusting faith, through trusting faith. What I want us to do this morning is to take these verses apart a little bit and kind of look at the original context of the original verses. I think that will help us because the point of what I want to get across today is the fact, really is really the question for you, are you studying the Bible in a way? that leads you to a correct understanding of the scriptures? Are you studying the Bible in, in the correct way so that you will get the right understanding? Right? Uh, I know that in the Christian community, uh, all too often they never read the Hebrew scriptures unless they're reading Psalms and Proverbs. They have an understanding of God and who he is only from the New Testament, which cuts them off from all the bases by which the New Testament came into being. You cannot really understand the New Testament unless you understand the Hebrew Scriptures. It's not possible. One leads to the other. All right? In all the commentaries that I read, unfortunately, too many Christians make a clean divide between the old and the new. It's almost as if Marcion was right. That the God of the New Testament is not the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. Marcion being a second century Christian heretic. Okay, But functionally speaking, Christians seem to operate with this understanding. And it's not, I think, a biblical understanding. And so I kind of want to present it and discuss it with us this morning. So the first thing I want us to do is take a look again at verse 10. Here we have verse 10. 
for all who rely on the deeds of Torah are under a curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. Here, uh, it's, uh, it seems to be very cut and dry that, that those who look to the Torah are under a curse, in essence. Because, I mean, I, a lot of people kind of view it like that. They go, well, anything associated with the, the law or, or even the, the, the Old Testament is, is wrong. And yet what's interesting here in the context of this verse is Shaul is really trying to point out in an emphasis their mistake. They are relying on the Torah in order to be made righteous before God. Remember the proposition. Remember the main point. Shaul is saying, you are relying on the Torah for your righteousness. In doing this, you know you are bringing yourselves under the curse of the Torah as well. Go back with me. Turn in your Hebrew Scriptures or turn to your Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Shaul here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy 27, the very last uh, verse of that chapter. And chapters 27 and 28 are chapters focusing on the cursing and the blessing related to the people and their adherence to God's instruction. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, absolutely it says, Cursed is the one who does not uphold the words of the Torah by doing them. Then all the people are to say, Amen. So, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, it is true that those who do not keep the deeds of the Torah are under a curse because they're not doing what God told them to do. Mother's Day was last Sunday. Did you honor your mother? If you didn't honor your mother, you disobeyed God's instructions. That's sin. You may say, you don't know my mother. I can say, I don't have to know your mother. God says, honor your mother and father doesn't say like your mother and father. It says honor. You dishonor your parents, that's sin. Sin. People hate that too because it makes it so pragmatic. It's not like I killed anybody. Ah, I know. That's the difficult part with Scripture. It's so darn practical. All right? But take a look at chapter 28, verse 1. Now, if you listen obediently to the voice of Adonai, your God, taking care to do all his mitzvot that I'm commanding you today, Adonai, your God, will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you listen to the voice of Adonai, your God. Here we have in chapter 28 all these amazing blessings for adhering to God's instructions. If we break God's instructions... It's an avera. It's a transgression of God's commands. It's sin. If we keep God's instructions, they become for us a blessing, a blessing in our lives. What Shaul is really getting at here in this verse is the fact that you people, you people are seeking to rely on doing the things in the Torah for the point of bringing you into right relationship with God. You have missed the point. If you're relying on your deeds, you are under a curse because you can't do it in and of yourself. All your righteousness, as the prophets tell us, 
are as filthy rags. We are incapable of doing all of God's instruction. The Torah itself gives us an understanding of that. Shaul is saying in this text that it is the reliance on our efforts to bring us into right relationship with God that will bring us nothing. This is not a statement saying that if we as Jews keep the covenant at Sinai that we are doing something wrong. That's not the point of the text. If you read that or if you've heard that from some well-meaning Christian, you need to remind them to go back and reread the text. Take a look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, It is clear that no one is set right before God before God by Torah, for the righteous shall live by emunah. Here we have this quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which is listed. And the Hebrew there is amazing, by the way. If you know Hebrew, go read it. It basically says, the righteous person in their faith will have life. It parallels Genesis chapter 15, 6, which we talked about last week with Abraham, where it says, Abraham believed God, and God made him a tzaddik, a righteous one, by his faith, okay? Here it says the righteous person, who I think can also be considered a humble person, because the verse, chapter 2, verse 4, begins by saying the proud person, the puffed up person, he's not right, all right? He's not right. The proud is not right, but the tzaddik in, his, in their faith will have life. A contrast between the proud and the humble. Contrast between the proud and the humble. How many of you are humble? Trick question. I'm humble. Oh, so you say. You know, if it's our desire to live our lives for the Lord, one of the things that should be obvious from that is, is our, our humility. doesn't mean that it's a phony humility. If you're smart, you're smart. If you're good looking, you're good looking. What can I say? All right, but... It's the humility before the Lord in recognizing our inadequacy that ultimately leads us to cry out to the Lord in faith for what he is adequate to do, which is provide his righteousness. I think what Shaul is really getting at with these believers in their their misconception is that there's a bit of an arrogancy there. You know, the one thing that gets us in trouble as Jewish people is the fact that if we're not careful, we become somewhat arrogant in our observance. Usually, legalistic people tend to be like that. Legalistic people tend to be proud, proud, arrogant. Religiously observant people should not be proud and arrogant. You know, I've met wonderful people within, the, within Christianity, and within orthodoxy, because these are the two probably extremes, but, but that are humble people. But they're very religiously observant, okay? Christians who are, you know, who, who just adhere to very strict approaches to the way they live their lives. You know, they don't go see movies, and they don't drink, and, and they live very uh, kind of... Um, you know, well below their means so that they can tithe in a very scrupulous manner, for instance. Who are in, they're in their, their services at church constantly because they really prioritize that. 
but they're really humble. They're just humble people. Why? Because they love God. You know, it's funny. It was within the Orthodox community. I can think of one guy I know pretty well who is humble. Really humble guy. Not a believer in Yeshua. But I know he, he's very religiously observant. And I know that he really uh, is seeking God. Uh, he's the guy that Shaul would say in the book of Romans, has a zeal for God but lacks the knowledge, the knowledge of the truth of who Yeshua is, which he has not at this point come to believe in. But he's a humble man. He's a humble man as a religiously observant person. But on the other hand, we all know religiously observant people that are arrogant and prideful, and they take great pride in their observance. Shaul is saying in verse 11, in verse 11 he is saying, it is clear no one is ever, has been or will be, brought into a position of righteousness by action. The righteous always live by faith. The righteous come into relationship with God by faith alone. One little practical question maybe for you is, are you, would you say that you are a proud person or are you a humble person? Are you a person that when you, when you think about your life and you think about the values of your life and the actions of your life, do you do what you do in your religious observance for the purpose of attracting attention to yourself? Or do you do what you do simply because you desire to be in relationship with God and your religious observance brings you, just makes that easier? It gives you a, a method by which you can come deeper into a relationship with God. Does that make sense? Maybe you've never thought about that before. When you sit down and you read your text, you read your scriptures, do you read it to really come into that closer relationship with God or is it a notch on your daily calendar? Whatever we do, we got to do it for the purpose of growing us more deeply in our relationship with the Lord our God. That's where the one simple way of identifying pride and humility. But regardless, the Hebrew scriptures themselves teach that righteousness certainly is gained by faith. And Shaul is saying to these people, you've been duped. Someone has misled you to think that you can come into right relationship with God through religious observance. Even in Habakkuk, it says, this is not the case. The Hebrew Scriptures, according to verse 12, continue this theme. It says in verse 12, However, Torah is not based on trust and faithfulness. On the contrary, the one who does these things shall live by them. He's pulling this verse, believe it or not, from Leviticus chapter 18. So turn with me, Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Page 115 for those of you who need the help. Page 115. So it says in verse 18, beginning in verse 1, Adonai said to Moses, Speak to B'nai Yisrael and say to them, I am Adonai your God. You are not to act as they do in the land of Egypt, where you used to live, nor are you to act as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, nor are you to walk in their customs. You are to obey my ordinances and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am Adonai, your God. So you are to keep my statutes and my ordinances. The one who does them will live by them. I am Adonai, your God. Okay, 
Wow. So what is he trying to basically say here when he says in verse 12 in chapter 3 of Galatians, or chapter 3 of Galatians, however, Torah is not based on trust and faithfulness. On the contrary, the one who does these things shall live by them. He is making the point that the Hebrew scriptures are there to do something very simple. They are to instruct us and inform us like all scripture. All scripture. All scripture is there to instruct and inform us. Summed up on the screen, it says, Scripture tells us about who God is and what God expects of us. That's what it's there for. Yeshua says in one place to the religious, he says, you search the Scriptures thinking in them is life. The Scriptures in and of themselves do not make you righteous. But they tell you about who God is. And they tell you about what God wants you to do. And if by faith you read what the scriptures say and you say, you know what? These are instructions for me to obey, instructions for me to keep, instructions for me to live out my life, then that's great. But to really come into relationship with God, that demands faith. Faith in the one who gave us the instructions. To come into relationship with God is to believe that God has indeed provided, as his instructions tell us, his righteousness for those who will believe by faith alone. People often, in the commentaries, it's just amazing. They, they use these verses, unfortunately, to, to speak against the very validity, the usefulness of the Torah. But in doing so, they actually cast the same shadow on all of Scripture. There's two verses I want to read from the New Covenant directly related to this. They're both in the book of 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. Take a look, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is page 1142. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look first at chapter 2, verse 15. This is a general challenge Paul has for Timothy. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them before God not to quarrel about words which is useless to the ruin of those who are listening. Now verse 15. Make every effort to present yourself before God as tried and true, as an unashamed worker cutting a straight path with the word of truth. Remember the trees? Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the old way of saying this. But here it says... Uh, uh, cutting a straight path with the word of truth. Here he's referencing the Hebrew scriptures and their value for helping us to understand who God is and what God expects of us. And then continuing on to chapter 3. Take a look at chapter 3. Beginning in verse 14, it says, You, who, however, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, for you know from whom you have learned and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to make you wise, leading to salvation through trusting in Messiah Yeshua. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for restoration, and for training in righteousness so that the person belonging to God may be capable, fully equipped for every good deed. You know what? You could take 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and just paste it right next to uh, Leviticus 18, 1 through 5. 
and go, these sections are very practical for me as a Yeshua follower. God has given me his instruction to obey, to observe, to allow, to help me to walk out my life God's way. But you have to begin by faith, though. It's a different conversation. It's true. I mean, if you're going to follow God and live for him, faith is critically important in the process of walking out our daily lives, is it not? When God commands us to take one day out of seven and set it aside, that takes faith. When God commands you to give a generous amount of what he has blessed you with and to give it to the building up of his kingdom, that takes faith. When God tells you to prioritize community and to make time to study his instructions, that takes faith because it requires your time and your effort. When God says you should love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, that takes faith. Why? Because all is a lot. It demands a lot out of you. To be as excited about God as you're excited about the potentiality in the Cubs season. That takes real faith. The Cubs season, that is. To be excited about God doesn't take that much faith. Good night. How great is God? God is amazing. But fundamentally, to come into right relationship with God demands faith in who God is and believing that what he has done through our Messiah Yeshua is sufficient. Believing in Yeshua's atonement is all that's necessary to bring us into right relationship with God. It's not any kind of action, certainly not religious observance. The very last point I want to make is really the summational point here. God has provided for us blessing through the cursing of our Messiah Yeshua. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that through Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive the promise of the Ruach through trusting faith. What in the world is he really talking about here? You know, he's referencing, again, Deuteronomy 21-23. That's a text where basically he is saying that if anyone is executed, they should not be left hanging on a tree. Being left out is incredibly bad because what will happen is you get eaten by animals. It's, you know, in, what is it, uh, in European history, and I, I mean, everybody did this, but, of course, Tower of London, and you got the London Bridge, and he used to, you know, cut people's heads off in the Tower of London or that area there and then put the heads on, on the, the London Bridge. So people going in and out say, oh, there's Frank. I wonder what happened to Frank. I guess he got in trouble with the king. It's dishonoring, dishonoring for a body to be left hanging demonstrates real dishonor. Therefore, that person's curse. Yeshua, our Messiah, was crucified. Jews killed three ways, according to tradition and even in the scripture. Stoning, burning, and strangulation. 
I suppose if you were really bad, you could be burned and stoned. Actually, stoned and then burned. We see that in a couple of places. Strangulation is, is supposedly the best because, you know, fire takes a while to burn you up. Stoning, you don't usually die in the first couple of stones. Strangulation could be pretty easy, pretty generous death. Yeshua was crucified. That's a, a Roman thing. Really comes from the Assyrians who used to put people on stakes. But the Romans improved on that so you could suffer more. But the whole association is that Yeshua's on that tree. Bearing our sin. Accepting our curse. That's the association. Yeshua, our Messiah, becomes a curse for us. Therefore, we are free from the condemnation and the curse of the law. Now, you may say, well, that's very interesting. But doesn't that then indicate that the Torah is banned and we should have nothing to do with it? No. Romans chapter 8 begins after a little section about Paul talking about his sin issues. So take your sin issues, superimpose them into Paul's Romans 6 and 7, where he talks about being unable, really just seemingly unable to deal with sins that beset him. Do you have a sin that besets you? Shaul did. And it gets this climactic point at the end of chapter 7 where he basically says, Miserable man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it is through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the Torah of God. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. But then in verse 1, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Too often the Christian community looks at these phrases in Galatians chapter 3, where we're at, and they say that these verses basically communicate that any religious observance, certainly anything related to the Torah, is inappropriate for us. And that if anything we do regarding the Torah really brings curse The problem is they misunderstand. What Messiah has liberated us from is not God's instruction. Messiah's death has liberated us from the condemnation of our sin. Messiah Yeshua's death has liberated us from the condemnation of our sin. All people come into right relationship with God solely by faith, trusting in God's provided righteousness through the shed blood of our Messiah, Yeshua. It's amazing. This is the best Torah, the good news that we should be sharing with everybody. It should excite us. It should motivate us to sign up if we haven't done it yet so we can go sit out in the booth and wait for people to come up and talk to us so that we can share about the fact of how people can come into right relationship with God. What the world is dying to know is how can my life have meaning and purpose? How can I be free from my sin? Believe by faith that Yeshua the Messiah provided for your righteousness. But live according to God's instruction. That's the result of what it means to come into right relationship with God is to try and do things that please Him. So, 
The thing I want to kind of find, uh, end with in terms of this, this message, though, has to do with this topic of rightly dividing the word of truth. Are you rightly dividing the word of truth? Are you studying the scriptures diligently and correctly? How accurately are you understanding the scriptures that you are stuttering, studying? First, what do you believe about the scriptures? You know, if you really do not accept them to be the supernatural document that God has provided, you're probably going to treat them with a little less interest than the TV guide, which really doesn't exist anymore except for on your phones. God has given us good instruction. Let us follow God's instruction. Let us study it. Let us mine it. How much time do you dedicate to personally studying God's instructions? Do you read it daily? I find when I talk to people, people do not read it on a daily basis. I'm shocked. Shocked. But if it's any encouragement, think about how God feels about it. God is very disappointed. When you curl up to the remote with much greater frequency and commitment than you curl up with a copy of the text. We need to prioritize God's scriptures, studying them daily. All right, And I put weekly and monthly because it's only like some people don't get around to it until maybe once a week. No, that's not gonna, you're never going to grow. You can never be useful for God. If you, if you want to do great things for God, but you can never sit down with the Bible and study it for yourself, you cannot. You will be a, you're going to be a pain in the tush to those who really want to try and get stuff done for God because you're going to come up with all kinds of craziness and your life will be disordered as a believer. Study your Bible every day. Read it. Are you studying a text to understand first what it means within its immediate context? This is critical. Don't just read a Bible verse that said something really interesting and walk around thinking that it's meant for you. You know, there's, there's, I mean, people do that all the time, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures. Read the, con- read the text within its context. All right? Read the text within its context. Not every biblical text has to do with you. The concepts can be helpful, <laughs> and they can relate to you. You can be encouraged by the concepts, but read the text within its context. This is where the Christian community really messes this up in regards to us as Jews who believe in Yeshua because they basically they take a text like what we've read, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and they, they just read it out of context, and, and they do it with a prejudice. That's the other thing, too. Never... Never study the text with a prejudice. Study the text with an open mind to understand what it says within its context. Immediate context, the greater context of the book, and in the context of the text as a whole. When was the last time you actively studied the Scriptures with a committed group of people? That's why we have the Wednesday night studies, by the way. The Wednesday night studies is meant to be that time when we gather together and we actively study the text. It's not meant to be a complicated time. It's meant to be a group study of the text. If you don't come Wednesday nights because, you know, you just haven't been coming, are you doing something else? Well, if you're not doing something else, when's the last time you were in a group study? Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about a group study. Well, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll explain it. But it's always wonderful to study the Scriptures on our own, but it's also wonderful to study the scriptures with other people, whether with a, in Chavruta, with pairs, or in a small group study. But really the question remains, are you actively and intentionally studying the scriptures with others? A sermon is meant to be me getting up here and having a chance to preach at you all for about 30 minutes. I'm over.
That's a sermon. If this is all you're getting once a week, it's insufficient. Study the Bible every day. Meet with others for a group study during the week. Prioritize the study of the Scripture. 